Gospel of John and allow that to lead us and guide us this morning. And messages on discipleship should be a, a ten-week series, if you will. But John 13, 34 to 35, I think, captures it this. Jesus is speaking when he says, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So to be a disciple of Jesus, we must love others the way Jesus loved us, sacrificially, giving all, everything that he had. We must love others the same way that Jesus loved us. And that is the way the world will know that we are disciples and followers of Jesus. Dallas Willard defines discipleship like this. As a disciple of Jesus, I am with him by choice and by grace, learning from him how to live in the kingdom of God. This is the crucial idea. That means how to live within the range of God's effective will. His life flowing through my life. Another important way of putting it is to say that I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live life if he were here. Living and being a disciple of Jesus. We must love the way Jesus loves. It is a sacrificial love. Sacrificial, completely giving everything we have. And then we come to these very challenging verses that are almost disturbing when we read them. There are these four, whoever does not, cannot. Whoever does not, cannot be my disciple. And the first one is the hardest, it seems. Whoever does not hate their family. Whoever does not hate their family. Now, every uh, expert and commentator that I read would say this was a, a Semitic, as they would say, a Semitic exaggeration. Jesus is trying to make a point by, by exaggerating the point and that the, the people of the day would understand that what he is saying. He's not saying actually hate your mother or your father, your son or daughter. It's just this exaggeration to bring home how important the point is. And the point is this, I must be first. Your love for me must be before your love for your mother or your father or your son or your daughter. I must be first. You must hold on to even your family lightly. If you want to be my disciple, I must be first in everything, even among family. Very, very challenging words. And there's, not, there's none of this emotion of hate like we would experience hate or that we feel hate. That would, that would get rid of all these verses in the Bible, like 1 Timothy 5.8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. Jesus is not saying to hate your family. He's just saying, make sure that you love me first. Love me more. Care for your family, certainly, but make sure that you love me and that I'm first in everything. And these large crowds were following him. He's gaining momentum now. I mean, he's becoming popular, and it's kind of easy to follow Jesus right now. He's, he's not near the cross. It's, it's not a risk to your life to be a follower of Jesus. So that's when he turns to this very enthusiastic crowd and gives them these, whoever does not, cannot. And when things are going well and, and uh, uh, everyone's happy, we can be really supportive and encouraging. Like when a relationship be, uh, begins, a dating relationship, everything's great, you love one another. And I'm sure freshmen have been here uh, not even a week yet, and I'm sure some of them have met and are already engaged. I'm sure, it's probably happened. <laughs> but over time, I don't know if that engagement is really has the foundation that it needs to continue. The emotion, the excitement, the energy is there, but then there is about commitment and love and sacrifice and putting up with each other and learning to live and love together and love one another. It's easy when everything is going well and being a follower of Jesus is not a risk to your life, but now Jesus is saying, just so you know, the day is coming. 
He even talks about the cross. I find that no one knows really what's happening or where he's going to go, but whoever does not carry their cross and follow me, he's already preparing them, letting them know, just so you know, if you continue to follow me, I want to let you know this is where this road's going. We're going to the cross. Whoever does not hate their family cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not hate yourself cannot be my disciple. Again, God is saying, I must be first. Your love for me must be greater than your love for yourself. Holding on to things loosely. Holding on to family loosely. Your possessions, everything. Hold on to it loosely because it's all of God's anyway. Now, he has entrusted you with some things. He has entrusted you with some possessions and maybe money. Now, college students, he probably hasn't entrusted you with much money yet, but hopefully after you earn that big college degree from U.S. News and World Reports, top-tier ENC Nazarene College, you will be entrusted with more resources and money. But it's all God's money. He's entrusted it to you. He's entrusted it to you an education and a degree, and, and you need to hold on to that loosely because it belongs to God. And will you worship him with that? Will you give it back to him? And please don't hate yourself. I need to make this point here because some of us can read this and feel like God wants us to hate ourselves and, and think that God maybe even hates us. No, no, please. We just need to make this point. God doesn't want you to hate yourself at all. And he loves you and cares for you and you're precious in his sight. That's why we read Psalm 139 today. We're looking at this very challenging text, but I think uh, the church fathers who put together the church calendar over the years wanted to make sure, let's make sure we read Psalm 139 to remind the people that, that from, from conception God knew you and loves you and cares for you. No, don't, don't hate yourself. Don't put yourself down. It's, it's just about making sure God is first. Whoever does not, cannot. Whoever does not carry their cross cannot be my disciple. This can come in different ways and in different experiences, different challenges you find in life. Someone say, well, God is giving me this cross to bear. And sometimes it is God giving us these challenges. We find ourselves in these life experiences where we have to, a call he has placed on our life to love someone who is difficult to love. Now, I'm sure all of you, this first week, first week of school, deeply, deeply love your roommates. Over the next few weeks and months, however, my guess is there will be some challenging days. And you will feel like, yeah, I know what my cross is now. It's my roommate. Whatever God calls you to do or be, make sure that is a priority in your life. Whatever situation or circumstance you find yourself in. And I want to promise you, and this is just, I guess, one of the most, probably the major point I want you to, to leave with today. God will never ask more of you than His grace can provide. God will never ask more of you than His grace can provide. I know we think about putting God first and, and above our family and our friends, and for some of us that's even difficult to think about. I know the thought that think, God, I don't want to completely surrender my life to you. I'm scared where, I'll, where you'll send me or what I'll have to do or what I'll have to give up. God will never ask more of you than his grace can provide. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the call to discipleship itself, that itself is a gift of grace. It is a gift of grace to be called a disciple of Jesus, to, to be called by God, where God will give you the strength and the energy and the discipline. If you but let him, he'll give you the strength and energy to be that disciple. Yes, there is a cost to discipleship. That's what the heading of these five verses are, these ten verses are, the cost of discipleship. It is a cost. Are you willing? Are you willing to really and truly be sold out 100% for God? totally sold out 100% for Jesus Christ. Whatever he asks of you, if he tells you to give that up, will you give it up? 
If he asks you to surrender that, will you surrender that? If he asks you to go, will you go? If he asks you to love that person, will you love that person? Sacrificially. Yes, there is a cost involved. There is a cost to discipleship. But with the cost, I promise you, comes the peace of God in your life. With the cost of discipleship comes the peace of God in your life. To know that you are right where God wants you. To know that you are right in the center of what God wants you to do and be. And and to know that you are living your life, whether it's in relationships or friendships or family or in the classroom, faithfully living as a disciple of Christ. And the cost that comes with that comes the peace of God. Christ in the gospel must not only be first in our life, but in fact, Christ in the gospel redefines all other areas of our life. Everything is shaped and formed and redefined when we allow God to be first in everything. This can and will involve some detaching, some some turning away. But I promise you that I am a better father and husband because God is before my family. Jesus doesn't go into detail there, but I am a better father and a better husband and a better chaplain because I try to make sure that God is first in my life to be the disciple that he wants me. Then I am better prepared to do everything else in life. But when I put other things ahead of God, when I put my own priorities, my own agendas, my own ideas, then I'm not as well prepared for other things in life, whether it's fatherhood or chaplain or husband, whatever it may be. It involves a turning away from things at times. It involves a giving up of things. But God wouldn't ask us to do something if he wasn't going to give us the grace and the strength to do it. And he knows it is what's best for us. Jesus is saying, give up your life for me. Understand, that is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Go ahead and lose your life. That is how you find it. Go ahead and lose your life. That's how you find it. The kingdom values, the values of the kingdom are, 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 are in reverse from the world. It's in, you see, it's in giving that we receive in the kingdom of God. You see, in the kingdom of God, the last shall be first. The kingdom of God is a reversal of values from what the world tells you. And Jesus is saying, give all that up for me. The cost of discipleship. And then he gives these parables of a man wanting to build a tower and a king wanting to go to battle. The man wanting to build a tower is probably not as wealthy and powerful, probably a commoner. And I think Jesus was intentionally using a commoner and a king. The humble, the poor, the servant. There comes a cost as well, as well to the rich. Wherever you are in life, whatever your position or status in life, Jesus is saying there is a cost to discipleship. Be willing to count the cost. Count the cost before you step forward and journey with me any further because it's going to get more difficult. It's going to get more challenging. If you can't be faithful to me at this point, if you can't be faithful to me right now, you know what? Further down the road, I'm going to ask more of you. So be faithful now. Help me, let me prepare you and shape you. Count the cost before beginning. I made the mistake this summer of not counting the costs before getting a puppy. There is the financial cost, certainly, but there are much greater costs that I did not expect or plan for. (laughs) The 5 a.m. walks, the dog barking at 3 in the morning, waking up Robert Benjamin on one side and Coach Jim Aller on the other. Picking up after the dog, but my, my daughter loves the dog, right? She loves it very much, and she promised she'd always pick up after him. (laughs) 
She just said no, in case you didn't hear. I didn't count the cost. And we'll, we'll keep her for today. And uh, <laughs> it's a silly example, I understand. But as I was preparing this text, accounting the cost before you move forward in anything, all I kept thinking over and over again is like, I did not count the cost when I got this dog. But uh, it needs to be walked a lot, and Edie, I think we have like 500 dog walkers right in this room, so God has provided in a real and special and powerful way. So ladies, if a guy asks you to go for a walk on the beach and you're not sure if he's a creeper or not, just come by. I'll train Rondi to attack if, uh, if a guy does anything wrong, so it'll be a ministry. Um, I really will train Rondi to attack when boys ask you to walk on the beach, just so you know. She looks so confused right now. <laughs> and I'm not trying to water down this very important challenge to make so that Jesus is calling us to today. I do, beca- I do believe the cost is greater, however. I really do believe the cost is greater if you choose not to follow Jesus. I believe the cost is greater if you choose not to follow. So we look at this text and we, we think, wow, there is a cost. I don't know if I can do it. And, and you're right. In your own strength, you can't. You can't. You need the help of God through the power of his Holy Spirit to be a disciple of Jesus. To quote Dallas Willard again, the entire point of this Luke 14 passage is that as long as one thinks anything may really be more valuable than fellowship with Jesus, one cannot learn from him. As long as we think something may be more valuable than fellowship with Jesus, we cannot learn from him. And I have prayed and fasted and struggled for weeks on how to get this truth across that I believe with my whole heart. There is no better way to live your life than loving Jesus and loving others the way Jesus loves you. There's just no better way to live. I am so convinced of that. I believe it to the core of my being. Listen to what Paul writes to the church of Philippi. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is from, through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. It's all rubbish, he's telling us. He's all, it's all rubbish. To know Christ and the power of his resurrection, everything else is rubbish. Give it up. But I know words and my words and I know sermons and even my sermons often fall short in being able to articulate the beauty, the sacredness, the holiness of being a disciple of Jesus. I know that often words fall short, so I hope that where our words fail... I hope that our lives and our actions proclaim the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Will you allow the way you live proclaim the goodness of God? Proclaim that you are a follower of Jesus Christ because our words often fail us and people honestly don't always trust our words because we have have not always lived by them. This summer I had the privilege of going with uh, several colleagues here to the Duke Center for Reconciliation and Justice. And in the afternoon seminars, we broke up into different groups, and I had the privilege of being in a group with a man by the name of John Perkins, and we go to the John Perkins Center every spring, a leader in the civil rights movement now in his late 80s. 
And as we were sharing our stories, it was a small group, and we were able to be with John Perkins all week. A, a white minister from Birmingham, Alabama, was just about to retire from his church. He was, I guess, in his late 70s, mid-70s. And uh, he was sharing his story, how he came to know Christ. I don't know how it came up. I, I wasn't even really paid attention to how he got into the story. And, and John Perkins is older, and he had a long day, and he was kind of dozing <laughs> a little bit. And someone else was, someone else was leading the seminar in this this pastor from Birmingham, Alabama, who was about to retire from his Methodist church that he had faithfully pastored for 40 years, told how he came to know Christ. And he said, when I was a college in, the early, in college in Alabama in the early 60s, I saw these churches uh, protesting segregation in front of the movie theater and other places in town, in front of restaurants. And he said, and I watched this one United Methodist church. And one Saturday morning, I remember watching them and saying, I want to be a part of that group. And that was his conversion. And now he has pastored a Methodist church, finished college, went on to seminary, and he's pastoring the Methodist church for 40 years. Our conversation continued, and the other leader of the group was leading us in another direction. And I was sitting behind the gentleman. There was a circle, and there were two rows. So I was sitting behind the gentleman as he was sharing his story, and I could look across the circle to John Perkins. And as we moved along, I, I could see that John was just, uh, uh, Dr. Perkins was just looking at him deeply, just kind of shaking his head. And we're in a completely different conversation and all of a sudden we hear Perkins say, I like your testimony. He first said it soft. And then he kept saying over and over again, I like your testimony. And of course the rest of us stopped talking and just paid our attention to Dr. Perkins and he said, I like your testimony. You saw what the people of God were doing and wanted to be a part of it. You saw what being a disciple of Jesus was all about and said, I want to be one of them. I like your testimony. So where our words fail, let our lives proclaim the beauty of being a disciple of Jesus. Those of us here on this campus who are already disciples and, disciples and followers of Jesus, your words and your actions are proclaiming a message. What type of message is your life proclaiming? What type of message is your life proclaiming in the dorms? in the classroom? What type of message is your life proclaiming and caring for the least of these? What type of message is your life proclaiming and caring about justice and reconciliation? What type of message is your life proclaiming and wanting people to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life? Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you count the costs? Is he first in your life in all areas, in all things, in all ways, in all relationships? Be an evangelist. So when people look at your life, they can see what a disciple of Jesus is all about. And so people will look at your life and say, I want to be one of them. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I wonder how far these large crowds followed him. We don't know for sure. We don't know if any followed him. I wonder if they continued to follow Jesus where he then shares these incredible parables in the next chapter where he talks about how God searches for the lost, how his love is so great that he will search to the ends of the earth for one who is lost. I wonder if they heard, I wonder if they heard those parables about God's love for the lost. Did they still follow when Jesus with, with the large crowds when Jesus healed ten men with leprosy? Were they there to see the power of Jesus and how his healing power can come into your heart and life physically, emotionally, and spiritually and heal? I wonder if they saw the ten healed where only one came back to worship him. 
Only one came back to say thank you. I wonder if they continued to follow him as the beggar received his sight or when Zacchaeus, the tax collector, was extended grace and he went to his home. I wonder if they still followed. I wonder if they followed Jesus to the cross. We know that most did not. To the cross where this sacrificial love of Jesus for you and for me was so beautifully lived out and demonstrated. As we begin to close this second chapel of school, I'm going to ask Lionel to come and play. And I know there are many here that have grown up in the church and many who haven't. Maybe this is your first or second time in the church and you know what, in a sanctuary, in a worship context like this, so glad you're here. This is your home. We love you and care for you. But I want to say something to some of you who have maybe grown up in the church and uh, been a follower of Jesus for quite some time. Maybe you've been to camps and at church three, four nights a week. Maybe you've already accepted Jesus as your Savior. But have you surrendered to Him as Lord? You've accepted Him as Savior, but have you surrendered to Him as Lord? I mean, have you really come to the place where you completely surrendered everything to God and say, Lord, I, I know Your grace is enough and You've forgiven me of my sins and You've come into my heart and life and I have new life in Christ and, and I will have life eternity with, in heaven with God our Father, Jesus Christ. I know all that. But have you surrendered to Him as Lord? I don't want you to go home and get on the phones and call your parents, Mom and Dad, the chaplain told me I'm supposed to hate you now. It's not what I'm asking. But I am asking to challenge you, is God first in everything? Is God first in front of that relationship that you're in? Is God before the plans that you've set for yourself and the direction your, your life is going? Is God first? You've accepted this Savior, but have you surrendered to him as Lord? And to others, do you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you want to follow this one who loves you so dearly from the moment you were conceived, who knows you inside and out, who gave his life for you so that you might have eternal life? Do you want to be a disciple? We are going to sing one verse of the song. Please stand. And as Lionel sings, and we'll sing with him, and then we'll close in prayer as you reflect on those questions. All to Jesus.
And now in this moment, my hope and prayer is that others have prayed a prayer of complete surrender to you. My hope and prayer is that others have said, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. May Eastern Nazarene be a college where we help mentor and teach and disciple those you have called to so many different areas of study, so many different areas of the world, so many different places to serve. You all call, you call us all to surrender in different ways and at different times. May we be a community that supports these students wherever they are on their spiritual journey and walk with them as they follow you and walk with them as we follow you. May we be faithful in all of these things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great weekend. You are dismissed.